Felicia Harris, and I will be your host this morning. Now, you already know, owning a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts, and when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where everything HR comes in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We make things simpler. And this complimentary podcast will provide you with the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, you'll be able to call in and speak with HR professionals about the issues that keep you, keep you up at night. But more importantly, you'll be able to hear best practices from other business owners that have been in your shoes. Now, today is no exception. This month is the month of October, which is uh, Women Business Owners Month. And today, I have two very exceptional women-owned businesses here with us to share how they have really been trailblazers in their field. And so, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to someone that has already done a podcast to us, which is Katie Ballish Novak. And a new participant here, Carolyn Salt, who is going to talk to us about their business and give us a little information about them. So, Katie, I'll let you go first. Good morning, Felicia. Thank you for having me visit again. Again, as Felicia indicated, my name is Katie Ballish. I am the owner of Vaughn Industries Incorporated in Detroit, Michigan, and we are a manufacturer of parts equipment, and cleaning compounds for light industrial and car wash applications. Our business was begun in 1977 by my parents, Lawrence and Nancy Ballish, and has been continually running since for 42 years since 1977 in the city of Detroit. Awesome. And Taryn? Hi, Felicia. Thank you very much for having me. Good morning, everyone. My name is Taryn Sulkis, and I'm president and CEO of Eagle Specialties. If you've ever used a public washroom and could not see the person next to you, you're welcome. Toilet partitions are one of the many products that we provide, as well as toilet room accessories, lockers, roller shades, fire extinguishers, fire extinguisher cabinets, and many more specialty commercial items um, for commercial construction. We started our business in 2014 as a Detroit-based business. Both my husband and I are second-generation business owners, and while many people might think that a husband and wife team is a recipe for disaster, we've actually found that it is an excellent recipe for success, and we've uh, been meeting and exceeding our clients' needs since our inception. Awesome. Awesome. So now, basically, you guys are going to kind of get a little bit of an insight of some girl talk today as we sit here in our conference room. And so talk to me, especially you, Katie, because you're in a field that is definitely male-dominated. Yes, Felicia, I am in an industry that has typically and historically been male-dominated. Car washing has really been only around for about – 100 years. So a majority of car washing, manufacturers, developers, most of these companies were typically started by men, owned by men. They were succeeded uh, by 
the sons of the families. So growing up, I did not see much in the way of a female presence in this industry, with the exception perhaps if I would travel with my father and we would visit a wash or another manufacturer. And for instance, just like Karen was saying, you might have the the wife of one of the men or a daughter, but those women were typically working in administrative positions, support positions, things like that. They were much more in the background. They were there, but they were in the background. And so did you get pushback from customers or guys when you kind of took the realm? I don't know so much if I got pushback, but one of the things that I really did notice was that there was I think I, I don't think I was taken quite seriously. And my journey to my running Vaughn Industries was uh, a little different than most. Uh, as is historically typical, uh, Vaughn was started by my father, and my brother was the one who had spent uh, a, a quite, quite a long time working there and helping to develop products and selling products. I actually did not work for the business for uh, many, many years. And in 2010, I returned back to the Detroit area, and I actually took over for my mother as she retired and her health was failing. So I was working in the office. I was doing the insurance. I was doing the payroll, uh, correspondence, and all of those things. Right around 2013, my dad and my brother started talking about a succession plan, and I assumed that perhaps by the end of 2014, a succession plan would have been completed and my parents would be fully retired and my dad and my brother would be taking the business to where it was that he, where his vision was. And in uh, 2014, early 2014, my brother died uh, suddenly, unexpectedly, and there were no other siblings. And my dad already had one foot out the door and so, well, what do you do then? You have 24 people working for you, it's a viable business, it's a great business. And you have a very dedicated staff. And so I found myself at the helm of this business quite unexpectedly. And because of that, I think that it led to some confusion in the market. Uh, People were not familiar with me. And so I'd heard a number of things about my presence there. One, you know, the, the dumb girl in the office or the sister. I didn't have a name for a while. And I think typically what the interpretation was is that, well, once the old man passes away, the girl's just going to sell it all because she doesn't want to do it. And and that was actually uh, nothing could have been further from the truth. So I think that not really pushback, but I think perhaps surprise, I think it was slightly unexpected. And I think there was some adjustment that customers had to make in their own minds to realize that, uh, to take me seriously. I think that would be the best way of putting it. Okay. Okay. And I think, just to piggyback on what Katie has said, it sounds like our lives were relatively similar. Um, My father had a window and door business when I was growing up. So porch enclosures, awnings, he started seal all aluminum in Clawson, Michigan. He ended up moving his window door awning business out to Hamburg and Pinckney, Michigan. And back then, my mom worked for my dad as I was growing up. I had a nap room and playroom back in the office. And then as I got older into middle school, 
girls were never allowed in the shop. That was just the rule, right? Girls didn't screen screens. Girls didn't cut glass and do windows. And I finally convinced my dad to allow me to screen screens. So he did teach me how to do that, and I was able to do that. But that was as far as it went. Um, Unfortunately, my dad um, succumbed to complications from Alzheimer's. My brother was in line to um, take over the business, but unfortunately that fell through. And so I went on to college and I got my degree. I ended up wanting to be a teacher, but ended up working in sales. And then we transitioned into having our own business and really getting started with it. In 2016, I had somebody, I was at a contractor's office and I had somebody talking to me about my business. And they said, it was a C-suite level person. And they said, well, if you don't know your business, don't come talk to me. Don't tell me how you can help my company if you don't know your business. And I was really offended because I had been in business for two years already. I knew the company. But at that point, I said, 100%, I am all in. I've learned how to read blueprints. I've learned how to install my own products. I go to job sites. I've field measured. I deliver the materials. People are really surprised. But when you're a small business owner, you put on all hats. And it's not fair for me to expect, well, it's not fair to my employees to expect them to do something that I don't know how to do or that I won't do myself. And so it has been kind of dispelling that myth that you're taking over a business that you don't know what you're doing. Granted, I've had business experience being a second generation business owner. My path diverged a little bit, but it's come back and you know, we are 100% committed to our business and committed to the city of Detroit and helping the revitalization by having our business there and really making a commitment to that community. How do you guys, I guess, my question to both of you would be, do you actually obtain leads or, or do prospecting a little bit differently from the guys, um, your com- competitors that are guys or guy businesses? Uh, there, is that any different for you when you're prospecting? That's a really interesting question. And as I think about it, it's actually most of the prospects that I meet are are men. Mm-hmm. And so I would have to say no because they're just they're just customers. They're just leads. The product that I have is is exceptional. I stand behind our product. I know what our product can do. I know what it can do for them. So I think the product speaks for itself, and I think one of my best decisions was to step out of my own way and to stop looking at it as male or female. My product is my product. We'd already, you know, we had already supplied some of these people in some smaller ways or maybe even larger ways. Why should there be any difference in my product because you now talk to me as a woman? There is no difference. I have a product that I want you to use because of its quality, because I know, bottom line, that my product is going to get you a higher ROI. I know that my product is superior. I want you to use my product. You already know that my product is really good. So I just stop looking at it as I'm having a man-woman conversation and I'm having a conversation about bolts and nuts and plastic and cleaning compounds because I know those products are high quality. The products need to speak for themselves. It doesn't really matter whose mouthpiece is. 
I agree, but do you find that is it easier for guys to go out on the golf course or go to the bars and do their deals? Than That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I don't golf unless it's mini golf. So if anybody ever wants to mini golf, I am totally down for that. I'm with you. But I don't golf. I don't shoot game. Exactly. I'm not necessarily a connoisseur of beer in the evenings like my father used to be because I have a child that I have to go and mm-hmm. take care of as well. Um, it doesn't make my business any less than Correct. because we do answer our Correct. phone 24 hours a day, seven Correct. days a week. We are there. So our service is superior. But I'm not into the networking exactly. in a traditional male sense of the word. The contracts for me aren't getting signed in strip clubs, and right. they never will be. I'm sorry. I'll pass on that opportunity because that doesn't align with my company's core values. Exactly. And for me, it's finding and defining the customers or the clients, potential partners that have the same values that align with us. And I find that building relationships with them, with the opportunities that we're given in networking and trade shows, attending annual meetings or quarterly meetings, or just setting up lunches with them, I find that those opportunities are providing sufficient results for us and, mm-hmm. and contracts where I don't need to look at those other alternatives to networking. Correct. Because there are, I know that we interface with obviously a lot of other business owners that are women, and they find that they're prospecting in a male-dominated field. They have to find a workaround because they are not going to go to the strip clubs and sign deals or they're not going to go ahead and have the beers after work or whatever. They're with them, so they find other ways in order to connect with those individuals in order to get the deals done. And so that was one of the primary questions that I wanted to ask you guys because there are people that struggle. There are women that struggle. I think a lot of it depends upon the associations or the organizations where you choose to put your marketing dollars or where you you choose to put your professional development. Mm -hmm. When you're researching an organization to belong to or who you want to advertise with or what training you want to go to, you obviously want to look at are there networking opportunities that are going to be provided for you? Is this organization mainly going to be there, you know, look at their events and see what they have for social gatherings and see if those things align with your schedule or with your lifestyle. And if it doesn't, does it make sense to continue to put your marketing dollars in there? Or do you look at other organizations that, yes, they might have a golf outing, but then they may have a quarterly membership meeting that you can attend, and then they might have some other activities that, with myself, it might be, you know, they have some things that are for kids to come into. Because I have to tell you, I just started volunteering at my daughter's school this year, and I'm popcorn mom. On every other Friday, I get to go pop popcorn when it's a, when I'm available. And I actually made a connection for somebody who does commercial lending, who was another volunteer that was there. And then another, that same person needed a golf partner and they're for her league in uh finance, and there was another person at the volunteer event that does golf as well. So we made like two business connections just by volunteering on a random offshoot. And so I think just being able to talk about your business and being open to networking in non-traditional settings within a male industry 
male-dominated industry, I find that's working for us. I think that, you know, Tara, one of the, the ways our industries differ is that you have an entire, you know, you kind of have thousands of industries that your particular products are used in. Um, my particular product, it's a very, very, uh, you know, in, in light of everything. It's actually a really small uh-huh. industry. It's very, um, very specific. And a lot of the people that I run into are, uh, I'm very familiar with them. You see them at the, the trade shows, the international show, uh, and a lot of our networking comes at those shows. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, you know, when you were saying the strip club and all of that, I have no, I think that hopefully at this point I have uh, earned enough respect that many of those conversations do not take place around me. They also know the, the, the men that I know. They also know that I can take a joke and they also know that double entendre and funny things like that. I'm all cool with that. But what everybody also knows is that's fine unless you cross the line and you make it about you or me. And now we've crossed the line and now we're into inappropriate territory. And that very rarely happens. And I'm so grateful for it. So I can, you know, I can hang out. Obviously I'm not going to go to the strip clubs or anything like that, but if we're at the bar or whatever, I can hang with the guys and I enjoy their company and that's wonderful. And I am so grateful that the relationships that I have built where they, they, that we all know that I can take a joke and some of these things are funny, but once you cross that line and it becomes personal between if it becomes personal about you or if it's something towards me, now we've crossed the line and now the conversation's over. And that almost never happens. And I'm very grateful for the relationships that I've been able to build. And hopefully what I think that means is that I am respected. I, I, you made me think about I have um, actually probably about four or five different female business owners come to mind um, as you were talking about that that um, have come to me by us being in HR when things have crossed the line. And they were, they really did not handle themselves in a way that they feel proud of today from that standpoint. What advice would the two of you give to women that have actually either felt to need the need to succumb to going to the bars and strip clubs in order to get business, but they really are, they know they're not being true to themselves doing it. What advice would you give to them to step out and be true to themselves and to their values? Because basically that's the conversation I have with them. I'm like, you can get business every day, but you have to look at, get business anywhere, but you have to go home and look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of you is the advice that I gave them. And you can make up the dollar anywhere and get the contract anywhere, but your reputation, what do you want it to be? Because you don't know if others are going to make your reputation out to be something that you're not. That was my advice from an HR standpoint. I think Karen summed it up perfectly. It's not your core value. So, this life isn't only about how much money do I make. That has, you know, money is irrelevant in some ways. 
money is a, a linen blend that actually has no value other than the material it's printed on unless you take into consideration what we think it's worth and how we trade it. And money can't make you happy. It can't. It can't make you happy and it can't help. It can help you support a lifestyle that makes you feel comfortable, but it can't buy your morals and it can't buy your values. And so, Taryn, when you said it doesn't suit, it, it doesn't meet my, my core values, I think that's the easy answer. If I, so what's the movie, Indecent Proposal? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I'd walk away. I would just walk away. I would say thank you so much. Um, if you're ever interested in talking about business in my office, then here's my card, and we'll move on from there. It's as simple as that. It's, and I think women face something very, very real. It's that if you work in an industry, and perhaps let's say it's a smaller industry, and let's say you are single and available and you choose to make a decision or even not, and you choose to make whatever decision it is that you want and you engage in some sort of relationship with somebody at a trade show, Mm -hmm. you can't ever go back. Correct. You can't ever, in my situation, if I did that, um, that I don't believe that I would ever be able to be taken seriously. You know, I think people are always going to push the boundaries to see how far that they can push you. Can they get you to do something that's uncomfortable? Can they get you to talk about uh, business, you know, with a stripper shaking her behind in your face? How far can they make you uncomfortable? The simple answer is, is how much do you value mm-hmm. your day-to-day feelings about yourself and your business? And if it's that I want to do my business and I want to do my business in a way that makes me feel comfortable, then just politely decline. Mm -hmm. Offer another time to meet. I think hopefully if we, there's just nothing that important to me that I would need to subject myself to uh, watching some man see if I'm going to squirm at a strip club or uh, in a hotel room alone. I'm not interested. Right. Business isn't worth that much to me. Or I think even if it's, you know, after hours, drinks, or it's running late or things like that, you can always suggest an alternative date, time, location. Always. Correct. You know, even though you may pride yourself on being accessible 24-7, that's fantastic. But if that opportunity is not aligning with your personal beliefs, you need to be true to yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror every day. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to hold your head up high and hold yourself accountable. And then you have to also look at that person and say, okay, well, what they're asking, is that in line with my core values, my core beliefs? If it is, fine, go do your thing. If it's not and it's going to make you question it and wonder if this might even be the right person to get into business with, right? well, then really listen to those thoughts that you're having. Trust yourself. You know. And there's nothing wrong, you know, at least I know I had to fire a client because the client, you know, you knew going into a relationship like, mm-hmm, this is not going to be very good and you can start out and later on you end up like, no, this is not going to work out. And you fire the client because the client is not lining up with ultimately your core values or where you want your business to be. The work doesn't even need to be just your client, though. Think about it. Your business partner, That's a true. business advisor, That's true. a mentor, That's an employee, true. any of those people. If you find that you're, okay, you can have a disagreement with people. 
That's perfectly fine. You can work through that. That's life. If you that can't is. work through that, well, that's it. That's negotiation a separate, that's a separate and yeah, negotiation <laughs> and um, you know, constructive criticism, debate, positive conflict. If you start seeing things come to a head more often than not, and you're not aligned with them, then you need to have that discussion, and you need to say, okay, people come into your life for a reason. Yeah. And that reason has fulfilled itself or that time period has fulfilled itself, feel for comfortable to break up and move on and go forth. I think most of us, or I think uh, many, many women who might be hearing this podcast will remember something very, very uh, specific, which is I would suppose that at some point growing up that your mother probably said to you, trust your instinct. Mm -hmm. If it feels wrong, it is. And as women, we are constantly, you know, reminded, oh, maybe, maybe I'm just breathing stuff into it. Look, if it feels wrong, there's something wrong. Whether it is exactly what you think it is or it's something else, there's something wrong. Remove yourself. Remove yourself. Because we don't trust ourselves enough. And I have gotten to the point where I find it much simpler to have frank conversations with people and say, this is what I think is happening, and I need to make sure that we clarify our relationship. And I said that to people. Mm-hmm. And, and believe me, the first time I did it, no one was as surprised that I was very calm, collected, and laid that all out on the table. No one was as surprised as me that I could do that. But when I reflected on that, I can't tell you of a more freeing moment in my life. And once you do that, once you acknowledge the fact that your instincts are your instincts and you need to listen to them, it actually makes things a lot easier because all of a sudden, once you've got the confirmation that, yes, your instincts were right by a very frank and open conversation, thank you, no thank you, all of a sudden you realize the next time the hairs on the back of your neck stand up or the next time you get an icky feeling or the next time you're like, ooh, something's not right here, you're probably right. Something's right. And now the power is yours. Walk away. When do you come into your own, though? When do you come into that self-confidence that of, of, you know, yes, we can have it as an individual about ourselves, but when you bring it to the business and you got others are you're responsible for and we have all these other responsibilities that come with a business, when do you come into that confidence of, I know the direction that I'm taking the business, I know the business, and there are no compromises. It's either this way or no way. Karen, how many people do you have working for you? There's two right now plus our subs. Okay. So I have, since the time I started, there's been anywhere between 20 and 24 people working for me. What I did not realize was that some of my early decisions were made not based on what I wanted, but I realized that I made decisions on what was in the best interest of my team. And as my team continued to grow, continued to follow my leadership, continued to gel and continued to get stronger, I realized that every decision and action that I made had very little to do solely with me but it has everything to do with my team as a whole. And so my decisions, any decision that I make, needs to be made in the best interest of my team. 
So, for instance, if I make a poor decision and people decide that they're going to talk poorly about me, they're talking poorly about the other 20 people that currently work for me and the dedication that they've put in. And they have earned better than that, and I acknowledge that fact, and I have worked hard enough to know that I have worked and for my own personal self earned the responsibility of holding myself as the highest accountable person in my business. It all comes down from there. Well, when you figure it out, I want you to let me know <laughs> because I think any any business owner, male, female, old, young, in business for 20 years, in business for five days, when you make a decision and you believe it is in your best interest and in the best interest of your team, I still find that I second-guess myself. And so, yes, I can be confident and I know the direction that our business is going and I'll do something and then I'm like, ah, was that really the right thing that I want to do? I'm not going to be but I'm not going to say that I'm 100% perfect and this is, the way that, you know, this is the way that everything's going. Absolutely. So I think confidence in knowing what you're doing, it's a day-by-day thing for me. And, and I'll own it. And that's how it is. You know, there are days where I've been very fortunate to receive excellent educational opportunities and I've got these great growth plans and strategy plans and marketing plans and all of this wonderful stuff. And then you look at it and you think, all right, well, I need to tweak that or I need to change that. You know, this was the direction that was great for us a month ago, but right now we're over here and we need to change that direction. And so it is just vibing. It's ebbing and flowing with the business. And there are some days where... I think I'm on the top of the world, and then there are other days where I'm brought down to reality by a six-year-old that tells me I'm the worst mother in the world. You know, you just kind of work with it all. (laughs) I think once you start making those decisions and you start seeing the results of those decisions, it becomes much easier to really embrace the things that you've always wanted to embrace, mm-hmm. but now you've got some positive feedback that, yeah, I know what's right for this business. I will always make mistakes, but you see the positive feedback that those answers are the right answers, mm-hmm. and there is no more powerful word than no. So when something doesn't feel right, no, no thank you, I appreciate the offer, and move on. Right. And I think that you know, yes, we, we all will make mistakes because Absolutely. we're all human. And, you know, we, we cut ourselves a break or have to cut ourselves a break and, and make those mistakes more into learning opportunities. Uh-huh. You know, because our business is art. It's a living being. Mm-hmm. And so our business plans that all of us have, and in, if we're really looking at them and working them, it is a living plant that's mm-hmm. going to change with our customer base and our customer demand and the product or whatever. Regulations may change it. So with that, you know, we have to be confident enough to be end up saying one day at a time because mm-hmm. we will have our highs and our lows all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes us special as a business owner, regardless, male or female, is it takes a special kind of person to be a business owner uh-huh. because with the things that we go through on the demands from one day to the next day, the extremes that we go through, 
is something. And then you mentioned, you know, having your obligation to your daughter, and you have a daughter too as well. And I think this is something that I've mentioned earlier. There's no such thing as a work-life balance. And I mean, Karen, I'm saying that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you mean like the fact that you normally go to bed really early and that you're texting me at 11 o'clock the other night? Exactly. And I'm like, why are you still awake? Exactly. There is no such thing as work-life balance. I mean, it's like, no, you know, you take that opportunity to live in the moment with whomever you're in the moment during that time frame. Make sure you're giving them your all, but it's just not going to be a 50-50. No, never. And I think one of the funniest things when we were talking about, or I was talking about the organizations that you pick, mm-hmm. you know, that you want to invest yourself in. There was an organization, I'm still a member, but there was an organization that I was running for a board position on. Mm-hmm. And I took it upon myself to call each of the members to ask them, mm-hmm. you know, what do you want to see about this organization? What do you like so far? What do you not like so far? What can we look at? Mm-hmm. You know, I would appreciate your vote. Mm-hmm. And I had another female. She was not a business owner, but she worked. Um, she is a female in the industry. And her bosses are all male, and she's used to working in, around a lot of males. And she said, do you think you can really handle the position? knowing that you have your company and you have your young child. Hmm. And I thought to myself after that conversation, I said, if I were a man and I was calling, would she have asked that man, a man, the same question? And you would think in 2019 that we still have that mentality. I was floored. I was floored. I thought this person was more progressive than that. And so I still haven't, um, it's still sticks with me to this day that people would sit there and question whether I could handle that or not. Yes, that is antiquated. <laughs> <laughs> that is antiquated. And, and, and I'm thinking back very specifically into a, a, a kind of a personal correlation that I can make. My husband was became a widower when his daughter was not yet a year old. And I did not meet them until just at the time she turned five. So there were four years that my husband was a single father in which he would get up at 3.30 in the morning to make sure his daughter could get to daycare so that he could start his shift at five in the morning. And nobody ever asked him those questions. Nobody ever said to him, are you really sure that you can handle your job here? Nobody asked him that. No, but actually, probably felt more sympathy towards absolutely. Than they oh, female. poor man, poor man. His oh, life yeah. is so tough. His wife, you know, and, and truly very tragic, very sad. Mm-hmm. But let's say the experience was in reverse. Let's say, for instance, I lost my husband and my daughter was young. How would people, oh, you got a lot going on, man. I don't know how you do it. Wow, it's just so much you got to do. Wow, there's got to be some days that are really hard for you. Yeah, I would expect that you can't come in every single day. I'm like, that's what we would hear, unfortunately. So the other thing, going back to, you know, how do you handle these things, is I try to speak as little as possible about my personal life with people. Absolutely. Um, once, until I get to be on very good acquaintance terms, nobody needs to know what goes on in my personal life. Is my business suiting your needs? Are we delivering our product on time? Is it the quality you were expecting? Is it working for you? Is it helping you to realize a return on your investment? That's all that should matter. 
And so then I have become a master of random conversation because I really don't want to know at this point about your problems. I don't want to know about your wife. I don't want to know about your girlfriend. I don't want to know about those things, nor do I feel the need to share them with you right off rip. Once we get to a better level Uh where we're respecting each other for what it is that we do, then I'm open to opening up those conversations. But I've gotten pretty good at deflecting conversations I don't want to have, and it's not being rude. It's not pertinent to you realizing that ROI, and that is my whole goal. I need to realize mine, and you need to realize yours, period. That's true. You know, going back, I want to touch on something really quickly. I want to go back to when we said, you know, when a person feels uncomfortable, is it going to be something that they do that they're going to regret? Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of something that my mother always used to say, and so I did a real quick Google search here, and I looked it up. But my mom always said, how much is too much to pay for the whistle? And it was something that Benjamin Franklin uh, wrote in a, uh, in a, an essay. And one of the things that it says specifically is, when I saw one too ambitious of court favor, sacrificing his time and attendance on levies, his repose, his liberty, his virtue, and perhaps his friends to attain it, I have said to myself, This man gives too much for his whistle. Hmm. Everything is a price in life. It is. It is. And I think based on, I mean, businesses are going to come and go. Uh Today we could have a very successful business, and tomorrow something could happen, and that whole business could go bust. Mm -hmm. What do you have? What was the most important part of that? And for most people, it's their integrity. It's their family. It's their personal happiness. And many of those things are not, most of those things are not fully supported by money. Right. Right. So it's okay to say no. It is very much okay to say no. I mean, and we have to take the time to get to know ourselves and to know, you know, when is that appropriate time to say no. Because like you said, at the end of the day, all you have is you. Because the business, you know, we can think of a ton of businesses that have been open for over 100 years and they're not existing today. And the sacrifices and the things that people may have did that went against their core values, what is it worth today? You know, and frankly, like a lot of trade shows um, for us happen in places like Vegas and whatnot. And I think to myself, if the difference between getting, and fortunately I've never specifically been in this position, although I do know from talking to other women in the industry, they have been. But my thought is, it's like if I'm in Vegas and somebody is pressuring me to go to bed with them, for instance, to get me to to give them the, for, for them to give me the sale, you know, I think to myself, really? Because you can pretty much find, go find a prostitute. You know, go. <laughs> You're all over the place, ah, Katie. Because <laughs> you know, be, because that's not what I am. And really, if you're telling me that you're not going to buy from me because I'm not going to go to bed with you, um, frankly, really, I really, I'm good. I'm really good. Because Vegas is filled with with women who can fill your needs, and it doesn't need to be predicated on whether or not. I'm worried that you're going to buy something for me or not. Right. And Vegas or anywhere. 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 Oh, yeah. You find somebody anywhere. Yeah. 
I would have to say that I have been treated with respect, even when I didn't know how to ask for it. There have been a few times that I have been treated poorly, um, and by the grace of God, there was one person who spanked me on the butt at a trade show, and I was having, you know, we were having a fun conversation, and it was a little, maybe it was a little flirty, but it wasn't like anything serious, and he turned, you know, and we're on a trade show floor, and he turned around, and he spanked me on the backside, not hard. But I stopped and I turned and I looked at him and I said to him, in all seriousness, all playing aside, I said, you owe me an apology. Not, not like raving. I just said, you owe me an apology. I said, you stepped over the line. I said, and you now owe me an apology. And I didn't care where that went. But you could kind of see, because I wasn't screaming at him, you know, and you could kind of see the look on his face kind of, kind of crumbled. And he was like, blah, 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 falling all over himself to apologize. And it's not, and I think part of that comes from how you look at how you respect yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was too much to ask him to apologize mm-hmm. to me. And I think it was the appropriate thing to do. But also, unlike the, what I think a lot of men in many industries expect women to do is to respond in hateful histronics about how dare you you, you know, you man-hating, she-witch kind of thing. That's not what this was about. This was about the fact that he crossed the line. Not only did he cross the line from a sexual standpoint, but he put his hands on me, which is mm-hmm. actually an assault standpoint. And I didn't go postal. I just said, you crossed the line, and, and you owe me an apology. Mm-hmm. And he gave it to me. And there have been a few times in which things have been leading towards the, you know, hey, where's your room kind of thing. And I'm always like, yeah, okay, so uh, I'll see you in the morning. Bye. You know, so 95% of the time, I don't want it to seem like car washing is a bunch of of groping, nasty men. (laughs) There are quite a few women in car washing now, and it's one of the things that I have been asking our international organization to kind of help promote, is that there's a lot of women in decision-making, and we've kind of found our own strength as well. So I I don't want to make it seem like car washing is this, like, bunch of dirty old men. There's actually many, many, many wonderful relationships I have developed, both female and male. But I think in any industry, the, the things that I'm speaking of, they happen everywhere. Is the National Association open to entertaining like an affinity group for women in car wash? We do. We have um, fantastic. Yes, I. It, this kind of came to me about three years, three four years ago, and they put out um, these badges on the floor that said "Women in Car Washing." Because one of the things that women encounter as they walk on the floor is that they might be the owner of the car wash, they might be the decision maker, okay. and they would walk into a booth. And they might be with, let's say, their husband who's not involved in the business. And as is typical thought process is that they would always acknowledge the man Uh and not the woman because this is what they were expecting. Um, And I remember one guy telling me, he goes, yeah, I was like, they did that. I I looked at him and I went, I don't ask her. She owns the business. And so a couple years ago, they came out with these badges that said women in car washing. And from that point on, you know, I started asking, well, why don't we do 
why don't why don't we have a subgroup that that really pulls these women into kind of one place and support some of the things that we could really that, that you know maybe uh, maybe a more competent place or a place where we would feel more less likely to not ask questions because of feeling like we'd be intimidated. And so we're about to approach our very our our, our second. Uh, women's leadership experience, which we did one last November. We're doing another one this November. Awesome. It was exceptional. There's also women in car washing, which is out of Canada, and that has also been an exceptional vehicle. It helps us to know where the women are in the industry. Uh, it also helps us to know who Scott is from, you know, from the female perspective. Maybe we were missing the boat as female owners. Are there females in the industry who have a majority of the buying power? And are we, in turn, thinking exactly the way the men think? And are we only looking for the male prospects? Uh So really, this suits so many different needs where we've acknowledged that this is a space where, you know, the women can get to know each other, and this will also help map out our our industry so that we ourselves as women are are making the approach to the right people. Uh So sometimes it's cloudy. It's cloudy maybe on both sides. How do you look? For how do you mentor? Mentors obviously know it can be male or female. With there are obviously other women in your industry as you stated. Are you able to connect with another female in your industry as a mentor? But you still have to, you know, and we can have multiple mentors. We don't have to just have one. Is that easier? Is it easier for to have another female mentor or a male or it doesn't matter? It's about the same. Right now, I have I have one of each. Um, one is actually in the construction industry. One is outside of the construction industry, and they have been both people have been very open to meeting with me, addressing my questions, providing me with other questions for thought provoking and encouragement. So for me, it's where I met them was networking through the organizations that I mentioned and developing the relationships with them. And then asking. I think that's one thing that we kind of miss the boat on is asking. I know I do. But when you ask, you'll be amazed that there are people that are willing to step up and mentor you. Or if they're not able to, they might know somebody who is a good fit for you. So I've been very fortunate with the two mentors that I do have. From a mentorship perspective, I think one of the most powerful things that I've ever been able to embrace is that I don't know something. And to be able to say to yourself, I don't know something. And to be able to openly admit that to somebody who you are looking to for mentorship. I don't know that. Uh, I, But I'd like to. And is that something that you could help me with? I think typically we look at mentors as people who are older than us. Just that's kind of a preconceived notion. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most amazing things that I embraced this past year is that a mentor can be man or woman and can be of any age. Correct. I learned the Correct. most amazing I, – I opened my eyes to the most amazing perspective in the car washing business. And I look at this young woman as very – I see that I feel very much like it, that, that was a mentorship moment. So we had this first meeting of all of these women. And there were women of all ages. And I was sitting at a table, and there was a woman about my age, and we tended to be swapping some stories of the way things had, in our minds, always been. But I'm sitting at a table with much younger women in a variety of different places in the industry, and 
they're all kind of looking at us like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And it occurred to me at that point that not only has the industry changed and where women are present, is that a lot of the younger people in the industry, they never experienced what we experienced. And they don't see it the same way. So when one woman says, I don't have a problem managing men, I'm the manager, they do this, um, I don't, they walk in, they get hired, I know how to do all the maintenance, I know how to do all of this work, I, and there's never been a question. And all of a sudden I realized that my own historically preconceived notions were actually somewhat antiquated, and I had created this preconceived notion for myself that the industry has changed, and these younger women don't see it the same way we do, and because they don't see it the way we do with the younger people that they're working with, it actually, some of it doesn't exist, Uh and I think that was one of those aha moments for me. I was like, wait a minute, and I walked out of there. That was one of the most powerful lessons I think I've learned in the last year, and when I was saying earlier about when you're working with somebody, you stop looking at it from a male-female perspective. Again, my goal is to help you achieve the highest ROI you can mm-hmm. using my product. And I think one of the things that I think as female business owners we have to keep in mind is the ability to network among each other. Absolutely. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, both of you guys in two different environments, but then there's like all these lines that cross why you two have never met. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very important that we support each other. Yes. And that you find another female business owner that you can either just vent to, have a bad day to, that totally non-judgmental, and you can just have a meltdown, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that the, the personal support that you get from that, you know, in, in business, women are always told, don't cry, you're yes. over-emotional, you're, you're all these other things, except one of the things that we know is that all of those things are gifts in some way, shape, or form. They are how we process through deeply upsetting, deeply difficult situations. We all have a way of doing that ourselves. And women, yes, they do tend to be more emotional. And I think that there's a real comfort and a real trust there that, you know, if I called you, Karen, and I'm freaking out and I'm sitting in my office crying because I do not cry at work, I can tell you the last time and the only the only time and the last time that I cried at work, uh, it had something to do with after my brother passed away and I had yet, after three, four weeks, I had yet to really sit down and grieve. And somebody spooked me coming around my uh, cubicle. And they were wearing the same type of jeans that my brother wore and the same type of shirt that my brother wore. And when I saw it, I looked, and all of a sudden it was my brother because I hadn't looked up to see that person's face. And I looked up to see that person's face. And for the moment, it was like, oh, my God, it's my brother. And I looked up in that next second to see that it wasn't. And it was just at that point, that was the absolute emotional overload. And I, I burst into tears. I was done. I mean, and it was just weeks worth of grieving that just poured out onto my desk. And that was the last time I cried at work. And I swore to God that my staff would not see me cry, not because I'm not allowed to cry and not because I'm not allowed to process my emotions. But I decided that all of that would be done off property with a few select people that I trusted because my staff didn't need to see me cry because they were concerned for their jobs as well. Right. Uh-huh. And while it's okay to 
be vulnerable. There's a time and a place for it. And so I don't cry at work. But, you know, if I called you, Taryn, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm at the worst end. You'd be like, yeah, girl, I know. And neither of us, I think, would judge each other for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that creates a safe space for how yeah. I think many women process. We process very differently we than do. men do. We are, you know, there is a difference in how we handle um, and how our emotions drive us on a daily basis. I would be much happier, and I am much happier, to fully understand a majority of my emotions and to be able to process them the way I need to process them. I just don't do it at work. So if I get in the car and I have to listen to music as loud as it'll go and swear at my steering wheel, that works for me. You know, if I got to go home, I love my husband. Oh, my husband is such a, such an incredible person. I come through the door. He's sitting there, and I verbally vomit all over him, and he just looks at me, and he shakes his head, and he goes, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And he, doesn't, he does not feel the need to try to solve my problems, fix my problems, tell me what to do, none of those things. He just sits there and goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I go, how was your day? Not bad. I mean, and that is... And that is one of my biggest gifts, man. And I really, Karen, I have so much respect for you because in another time in my life, I owned my own business with my first husband. And I watched my parents. And my parents were never able to, you know, my parents, God love them. Um, they worked so hard. And, but it's always about business. And with my ex-husband, there was, I just, it was, that was a recipe for disaster. We were never meant to work together. And that became exceedingly difficult. And when I tried to make changes away from that, part of what, you know, really broke us apart. Uh, But I tell people periodically who say, well, what's it like working with a spouse? And I say, if you could do anything else other than work with a spouse, I would consider doing that. And I would consider making sure that you have very strong boundaries at home, which is there's a place at home that business is never allowed to be talked about. I give you the highest, I have the highest regard for that, the highest respect, because that is something that is very difficult to to navigate. And before Karen responds, I just wanted to say for all of you, our topic is barriers for businesses, for businesses under barriers, or breaking barriers, I should say. I'm so tired this morning. Anyway... But Taryn is really the face of the company. She's the one that's really out there, and Adam is more so the person that's in the background. Uh-huh. And so she's the one that's out there really getting the business. But on that aspect of, do, is Adam the first one or the only one that you go to to when you're having doubts or you're having a bad day? Or how do you do that? How do you manage that? No, um... When we reorganized the company um, in 2017 and we bought out two of our business uh, business partners, I became the 85% owner, so I went from 51 up to 85, and he went from 9 up to 15. And we decided we were going to, we're all in. This is it. We're all in. Thankfully, none of our clients were impacted. Our jobs were not impacted during this, and we moved from a 143-square-foot facility to a 9,000-square-foot facility and just kept going. And what's great is we are polar opposites, 100% polar opposites. Um, I am a people person. He is a facts and numbers person. We each have our own strengths. We sit on opposite ends of the office. And when I want to communicate with him, sometimes I'll yell across the office and he'll be like, 
you know we have phones. And I seriously, seriously, I can yell across the office to you. But I pick up my phone and I'll call him and we'll talk about it. Um, so we have come together. We approach things differently. And he is more analytical. I like to be fact-based. I like to research things. And he, um, he's been my sounding board, but also having my tribe, my group of women and mentors that I can go to and talk to them and really be able to run my ideas past them, emotions past them. And I know we were talking about, like, expressing ourselves. And I think really just having your tribe, having the people that you trust and that you can be with and then maintaining your core values in doing so really seems to uh, help the business flow and run. Awesome. So in these last 90 seconds, if someone had a question for either of you, give them your contact info one time so that they can shoot you an email or something like that and kind of ask you some additional questions. So Katie, what is your contact info? So again, my name is Katie Ballish from Vaughn Industries in Detroit. You can reach me at Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at VaughnInd.com. V as in Victor, A-U-G-H-A-N-I-N-D.com. And you? And Taryn Sulkis with Eagle Specialties. And my email address is T like Tom, A-R-Y-N, at E-S, E like Eagle, S like specialties, hyphen U-S, U like United, S like state, dot com. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, so very much for joining us this morning on this very important topic for a lot of women business owners that either are just starting or have been in the business for a while. Obviously, you guys are veterans now in the industry. And, I, and so if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to them. And again, I look forward to you joining us on next week. Have a great, great day.